Well, we are on week two of a series that I thought might be quite important for us because I don't know if you're aware of it, but sometimes you're a mess. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, I think he might be talking to you. (laughs) Please be nice, be kind, be gentle, be all of those things. But the truth is, for all of us, at some point in life, that actually is our reality. That's our story. And uh, it's usually as a result of some choices we've made, or even choices we haven't made, or circumstances that have happened to us, and we maybe haven't responded in a way that actually could have helped us make those things and those outcomes a little bit different. But we all visit the place of messiness. We all have moments, times, and even seasons, and some people even camp there for a long period of time. I don't recommend it. It can be very harrowing to the soul. But I think the biggest problem we have with the whole reality that at some point in some way we might be a mess is that we actually think that it's not conducive with our spirituality. That somehow being a Christian means that we avoid messes. Somehow we stay out of trouble. We stay away from those types of things. But actually Jesus and following Jesus is not about avoiding messes. It's about becoming something in the midst of our mess that we could never actually facilitate by our own human effort alone. So I think last week, uh, Pastor Gabriel talked a little bit about the whole concept of addressing the mess in our life, and the truth of the matter is that we all have it, or if we haven't just yet, we will have it, and if you don't have it by next Tuesday, you'll have it by next Wednesday. But when confronted with the state of our lives, often we use terms like this. I don't know if you've ever used this term, but nobody's perfect. Have you ever used that term? We're trying to explain to your friends or your family or your colleagues about the state of your life. Nobody is perfect. And what we're saying simply simply in this way is this, that we're saying that perfection is something that actually as human beings it's impossible for us to truly become. That we live in a broken and fractured world. But actually what we're really confessing is something far more than that. We're confessing this, that something about us not being perfect tells us that there is a standard or indeed someone who is perfect by which we are constantly measuring ourselves. You see, I believe when we acknowledge our mess, we are just moments away from acknowledging our God. When we acknowledge our mess, we are in the place where we get to truly see the goodness of our God. I think it was C.S. Lewis who put it this way. He said, it is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It's the very sign of his presence. And the Bible goes on to say a little bit about our mess. It says simply this, Romans 3 verse 23, for all have messed up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the standards of God. So some of us... Well, we're in a little mess. Some of us have made a big mess of our lives. Some of us have even consistently struggled with the mess of our lives for a long period of time. So I want to just tell you the story about my own personal mess. They say confession is good for the soul, but it's lousy for the reputation. But I'll tell you anyway. When I was about 21, 22, I got so fixated with trying to be a successful singer that I actually ended up with a problem called bulimia. I don't know if you've heard of bulimia. In fact, let me show you this picture so you can just see how messy my life truly was. Do we have that picture available? (laughs) Now, please, please, please. I think it's a little unkind to laugh, I must confess. But actually, (laughs) there is a whole tribe of people living in my hair there. I just want you to know. (laughs) 
that the lost tribe of Israel is in there somewhere. Well, I, I thought I was doing okay, but actually I, I couldn't eat anything. And if I ate anything, I'd have to vomit it up. I was so conscious of the way I looked. You wouldn't tell by looking at that, would you? But how many of us remember the 80s? Come on, tell the truth. I can see the wrinkles from here. I mem- many of us remember the 80s. How many of us aspire to live in the 80s? It's quite trendy to live in the 80s. A couple of, I think you lived it once. Why would you go back, sir? Why would you go back? But you know, the 80s was all about big hair and big ambition. And look at those teeth. Look at those teeth. Something has shifted and changed, hasn't it? So my life was a mess. I was 23, 22, just really desperate to be successful, caught up in a whole secular state of, of eating and not eating and a really bad relationship with food. And I got to the point where I was so thin, actually, it became quite problematic. In fact, this gets better. There's a, a more serious photograph. Are you ready? Close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a minute. When you open them, you'll see it. Close your eyes for a minute. Go. Look at that. Seriously good-looking boys there. Seriously good-looking boys. Which one is me? Can you tell which one is me? <laughs> it was around, please don't heckle from the back, sir. It was around about this time that actually I met up with some friends who had become Christians and uh, they started to talk to me a little bit about Jesus. And, you know, I didn't realize I needed God. I thought I was doing okay. I thought my life was, you know, a bit chaotic and a little bit problematic with my eating. But actually they must have seen past some of the facade and the makeup. And trust me, there was about three layers of makeup on in this picture. And actually that is me the night of Song for Europe in 1986 when I sang on the Terry Wogan show to, yes, go on, it's nice, it's nice, it's nice, it's a long time ago. So at some point, if you're really honest, when you look back over your, some of you have got the same hair today, I've just looked around, I've just <laughs> seen it, I'm not looking at anybody, I'm keeping my eyes straight forward. But actually, actually, I was an absolute and total mess, and, and Right in the middle of that mess, these two friends of mine began talking to me about Jesus. And as I said, I didn't really have a great appetite for religion. But I found myself very attracted to the fact that they said that God actually loved me. In fact, the mess in my life was so big I couldn't fix it. I started to get involved in all kinds of things like transcendental meditation. I was interested in the Eastern uh, kind of mystical things and started to get connected to some of that stuff. Looking for answers, looking for a way out of the mess in my life, trying to find peace in just about any way I possibly could. And actually, peace found me because God turned up in the middle of my mess. God turned up in the brokenness of my heart. And the truth is, if we think about this together, we can all identify with each other because we've all been a mess. Everyone in this room at some point has been in a moment or a time or a season where you realize that life hasn't quite turned out the way you expected it to. And some of the choices that you'd made many years before had caused you to arrive at a place where you probably would never have chosen to be. So the messes that bring us together actually are, more importantly, the messes that attract God towards us. And we seem to have this kind of befuddled thinking when it comes to this truth. God is not repelled by mess. In fact, I believe he's almost attracted by it. While we were yet still sinners... Christ Jesus died for us. 
And if you have a Bible with you, let's turn to this very famous scripture. It comes out of John chapter 3. It says, For God so loved the messy world that he drew near. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right in the midst of our mess, right in the midst of our chaos, God is not distant or aloof or far off. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to messy people with messy lives, with problems so vast and so big, they had no alternative but to allow God to reach them. But the second part of this verse is really important. It says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And what we're eavesdropping on here is the reality of how God engages with messy people with messy lives. Out of his grace and his mercy, he came into our reality so that we could find a way forward from the chaos and the anarchy that our souls actually live in. And listen to what it says in verse 17, a very famous verse, but the second part's not always read. It said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Aren't you grateful that in the midst of your mess, God hasn't turned up in your life and he's not in your face to condemn you for the mess that you find yourself in. But this is why he came, not to condemn us, but to save the world through him. And the gospel is full of stories of people who encountered Jesus in the midst of their mess. In John chapter 8 verses 10 to 11, we see that there's a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and she's dragged before the town uh, kind of officials and Jesus is brought in and demanded to make some response to the mess that she's made in her life. She didn't just mess up her own life, she'd messed up other people's lives. In fact, she'd messed up a, a number of situations as a result of some of the choices that she had made. And Jesus facing her in the midst of her messy circumstances, asks her this question. He straightens up and he says, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And she says, there's no one here, sir, that can condemn you. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, now leave your life of sin. What Jesus is simply saying here is, is your life is a mess, but I haven't come to this moment with you to condemn you or to make you feel worse about the situation that you find yourself in. I've come in a moment like this so that you can see that God is gracious and kind, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love and abounding in mercy. One woman's life changed in the midst of her mess by the God who is drawn to mess, not to condemn, but to restore and to heal. In Luke 19 verse 1, we find through to verse 10 that another man whose life is an absolute chaotic mess is a man called Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus was a tax collector and as a result of volunteering himself to be a tax collector, he actually alienated himself from the vast majority of his community. He was hated by just about everybody and his life is in a really bad place and Jesus turns up in his town. And he's so frightened for his life, he's actually hiding up a tree. And it doesn't say in the scriptures that this took place, but I would imagine he would have had some of his friends standing around the base of the tree to stop some of the people that really wanted to get him getting up the tree and strangling the little wretch. He'd exploited all kinds of people with this position. 
And when Jesus turns up in his town and Jesus turns up in his life, he doesn't start wagging his finger up the tree at Zacchaeus about how bad he is or how messy it's become. He simply says this, come down Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. The God that we are speaking about here is not a God who came into our world to condemn us in the midst of our mess. It's a God who came into our world to engage with us in our mess and somehow to transform our lives as a result of connecting with him. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes out of John chapter 4. It's called the Samaritan. The lady who comes out in the heat of the day because unlike the other lady, she can't come out in the morning because she is the talk of the town. Her name is on everybody's lips and she's got a reputation that's been trashed by all kinds of messy decisions that she'd made. So she has to come out in the heat of the day. And she comes out in the heat of the day to draw water, which is necessary for life. And she finds that Jesus, in the midst of her mess, is sitting near her while she's at the well. She didn't expect him to say anything. He was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. He was a man and she was a woman, but actually Jesus said, come a little closer, come a little nearer to me, and he began to dialogue with her. Now she'd had five husbands, and the one she was living with currently was not her husband, and you know, by anybody's standards, that's quite a majority of husbands, wouldn't you say, ladies? Now going back into historical context, that would have been a phenomenal amount of husbands. This lady had made mess after mess after mess after mess. And Jesus was not repelled by her mess. In fact, he could see the brokenness of her life and he was drawn towards her. That which she was looking for, with all of her exploits, Jesus promised he would deliver to her. That she would be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God that would quench this appetite that actually had tried to be satisfied in a variety of ways, but could only truly be satisfied by God himself. Jesus met her in the midst of the messiest mess that's probably in the New Testament. And actually, she went home and listened to what she said to her friends, all of those who had an opinion on her. She said, come tell a man, come and see a man rather, who told me everything about myself. And unlike you, he didn't condemn me. But he gave me love and he gave me hope and he told me that one day I would be satisfied. When I look at the New Testament, I see repeatedly Jesus turning up in the midst of people's messes. There's another story of a man hanging on a cross next to Jesus on the day he was crucified. A man who was so messed up that the only thing that anybody could think to do about his life was to crucify him and to end the chaos of his existence. And Jesus looks over at this man in the midst of all this mess and all the consequences of his life. And he says this, before this day is over, you will be with me in paradise. The mess that you think keeps God at a distance from you is in fact the mess that is the opportunity for God to reveal himself to you. The mess that you hide, that you pretend doesn't exist, that you deny and if ever spoken about would would try and pray away in your life actually is the very means or the very mechanism by which God wants to connect with you. Jesus came to save and to heal those whose lives were in a mess. Now some of our messes are self-imposed. They happen out of bad choices and decisions that we make. 
Some of our messes we think are as a result of wrong choices and indeed maybe some of us know the right choices to make and we rebel against the truth of God's word and we still make those choices. Some of the decisions that we have made have caused our lives to end up in places that actually when we were younger and dreamt about the future we'd have, we never would have imagined we would find ourselves in the place that we find ourselves in. But Jesus is not repelled by your mess. In fact, he is delighted to come into the midst of it and begin to connect with you. And when you connect with Jesus, your mess starts to become something that God can utilize to his advantage. Jesus offers all of these messy people in the New Testament himself. He doesn't offer them a religion. He doesn't offer them a program. He doesn't tell them to do certain things. In fact, he offers them relationship. And the answer to all the messes in our lives, whatever they're, whether they've come from self-imposed decisions or indeed the circumstances that we've experienced, God comes in his beauty and in his goodness and he begins to partner with us to take us past some of the most horrendous and difficult messes that the human heart can experience. And he doesn't offer us a program, he offers us himself. He says, I am the solution to your mess. I came to reveal the Father because I and the Father are one. God is not angry with you. He doesn't want to keep his distance from you. He's not wagging his finger at you because you're in a mess. In fact, he's drawn towards you because all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. And what did Jesus say to all of these people who found themselves in a mess in their lives? He simply said these words, follow me. Follow me. In fact, in John 8 verse 12, straight after the woman who was caught in adultery is is discussed in the scriptures, Jesus says to her, I am the light of the world. I can and I will therefore show you the way forward. And I will show you the way out of the mess that you find yourself in. Jesus illuminates for us two realities. One is the state of our truth but also the hope that is found in relationship to him. He didn't just come to rescue us from our mess. He came to guide us through our mess into a new reality. He walks with us consistently and he begins to dialogue with us gloriously until we start to think differently and therefore start to act accordingly. He offers relationship to us. But he offers light to be able to move forward in the midst of some of the brokenness and the darkness that mess can cause. In fact, he said these words, whoever hears my words and doesn't practice them will end up in a mess. But whoever listens to my words and obeys them, actually he will be like a man who builds his house not on the fickleness of life, but on the solid rock of relationship with me. I want to suggest to you that you can't pray your way out of a mess. The reason why you can't pray your way out of a mess is because you've behaved your way into it. You can't confess your way out of a mess either because you've also behaved your way into it. 
There are no quick fixes to your mess. No magical solutions. Nobody's going to wave a magic wand over your life or pray a prayer over you today that's suddenly going to resolve all the issues that your mess has caused. But you can follow your way out of a mess. You can walk in relationship with Jesus, who is the light of the world and will guide you through all of the various places that you need to be navigated through until your life begins to find some kind of order. God will meet you in your mess. He certainly won't condemn you. He's not offended by your mess, but he also wants to guide you through relationship, through the circumstances that you have actually walked towards, willingly or unwillingly, He wants to help you find the way out. So, it is good for us to admit that we're in a mess. It's good for us to be honest about the brokenness of our lives. In fact, I want to suggest to you that if we don't start with that kind of honesty, then we'll never see the truth of who Christ can be for you and me. We will always be pretending to ourselves that we who got ourselves into this mess can get ourselves out of that mess. And the truth is simply this, that you without Jesus guiding you and leading you found yourself where you are and it's only with Jesus that you can find yourself out of where you are because Jesus has the capacity through friendship and fellowship to take you on an adventure to discover who you were truly meant to be before the world began to shape or misshape your reality. So what are we going to do about our messes today? Are we going to pretend that they don't exist? Are we going to try not to admit to ourselves or to others that we are in need of help? What are we going to do with our messes? Put them under a carpet so by the time you're 30 you're walking uphill to get to the bed? What will happen with the mess that you have created in your life if you don't invite Jesus into the midst of it? You will spend the rest of eternity having crisis after crisis here on this earth while you try to figure out the consequences and the nuances of the messes that you have created or have indeed happened to you as a result of some of the choices that you've made. But Jesus speaks right to the midst of our lives in the middle of our mess and he says, I have come that you may have life and you may have life abundantly. But for that life to start, we need to invite God into the midst of our mess. We need to say, Jesus, I need your help. I recognize you're not coming to condemn me, but to help me, to have friendship with me, to have relationship with me. And you have come also to guide me into a different way of thinking and therefore consequently a different way of acting. So, If we're going to start by addressing the mess, let's celebrate the fact that our mess has created an opportunity for us to engage with the God. The God who sees everything but loves you unconditionally. Who knows everything but is fierce in his passion towards you and me and desires to engage with us to set captives free. 